Shame is so isolating. It's, it's extremely isolating. And I mean, looking back, I think, you know, it, it would have been great if, if I had had somebody in my life who could have been really blunt with me. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking with Gloria Jackson Nefertiti. She is an art model, former fundamentalist Christian, and breast cancer survivor whose 2013 diagnosis reminded her just how short life is. For that reason, she no longer cared what people thought of her, which served as the catalyst to help her come out loud and proud as bisexual, polyamorous, and sex positive. She's presented at numerous conferences, including Poly Living, Philadelphia, Polytopia, and the Woodhull Sexual Freedom Summit. And we're so happy to have you here, Gloria. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So, Gloria, you are a very interesting person. You have a lot of different (laughs) interests and a lot of stories to share. The place that I want to start first is, so first of all, um, on this show, we're no stranger to fundamental Christianity in our backgrounds. Mm. Now, well, the two of you are. Yeah. Emily's kind of the odd person out because Emily was raised as a heathen atheist. But <laughs> wow. My, I know. It's so I can't strange. imagine what that would be like. No. Yeah. Um, but myself and Jace also have these fundamental Christian backgrounds and also ended up in this kind of weird role reversal of being polyamorous and bisexual and sex positive and all these things. And so I would love to start there in kind of hearing a little bit of what that journey has been like for you. Oh, boy. And let's see, I'm trying to trying to think of where would be a good place to start. Um, let's see. Actually, um, maybe I'll, I'll just start with... Um, the fundamentalist Christian background. Um, uh, first, I was was born and raised in Mississippi. Uh, I lived in Mississippi un- until I was uh, fifteen, and you know, and then we all moved to Portland, Oregon. Uh, mm. You know, we had some uh, relatives there, uh, but uh, while while I was in Mississippi, you know, I uh, became really involved with the church. And, you know, and it just it continued after we moved to Portland. And um, let's see. In the mid-1970s, I was a student at uh, Portland State University. And I was, was also a member of Campus Crusade for Christ. Oh, wow. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Actually, now, now that I think about it, I was, was, was also a member of Campus Crusade when, when I was in high school. You know, and I just uh, continued it in college. Um, And then uh, there was one day that uh, I I was on campus and I was, you know, walking between buildings and I happened to see this table. And uh, there were these people who were were starting this new campus ministry. And I found out that the um, uh, head of the the ministry or the facilitator or whatever you want to call him, uh, he was a, a former staff member with Campus Crusade for Christ, okay. uh, which I you know, found interesting. <laughs> you know? So anyway, I b- became involved with this group and, you know, b- because I was was really, uh, really impressed with with how um, interested they were in evangelism. You mm. know, I mean, uh, they, they would, would would always preach about, uh, you know, going into all the world and, uh, you know, preach the gospel, you know. Right. Yeah. So I was you know, definitely interested in that. And so I be- became involved with this group and um, a, a bunch of us lived together in this um, uh, apartment complex in uh, Beaverton, Oregon, which is a, a suburb of Portland, mm-hmm. you know, and 
is gradually I started noticing things. Well, like for for one thing, uh, there there were people from Campus Crusade who uh, cautioned me about joining this group because they said that the the head of the group was very insensitive. Uh, He was the kind of person who didn't take criticism very well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I thought, well, that's, that's all well and good, but I mean, this just looks great to me, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I joined the group. I, you know, I moved in with them and uh, it wasn't very long until I I realized that, no, it, it wasn't a campus ministry. It was a cult. Oh my goodness! Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> and uh, the 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 way that I found out that that it was a cult was because it was like we were the only ones who were following the Bible and 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 were evangelizing the way Jesus said. You know, I mean, it it was this this big us against them mm-hmm. <laughs> situation, uh, right? You know, um, but but what was especially difficult was that. Um, now, in, in Portland, Oregon, uh, it's a, a predominantly white area. And when I lived in Portland, it was very common for me to be the only black person on the job, you know, just the, the only black person <laughs> anywhere. I mean, there, there were other black people who lived sure. in, uh, yeah. in Portland, but uh, it was it was in really uh, segregated areas, you know? Yeah. And what I noticed is that since I was the only black person, now this is so hard for me to believe and and to imagine right now, but I was the first black person that most of these people had even known before. Yeah. And so I was constantly put in that situation where it was my job to, uh, you know, teach them you know, what, what black people were like. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was it was like I was the representative of the in, entire black race, you know. Yeah. Uh, and that that was extremely difficult. But, you know, what, one of the things that I, I noticed, too, is that um, th- this is really common with cults. Hmm. And that is um, cult members can usually tell if somebody is is lonely or uh, d- doesn't really fit in and they're l- looking for a, a family, mm-hmm. you know. Right. right. That seems and, like a primary target for sure. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, and I think that that was, was something that they picked up for me, you know. Um and that also ties into my autism, too. Mm. Uh, you know, I wasn't diagnosed until last year. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> at, at the, the age of 63. Wow. You know? Yeah. Uh, but all my life, I kind of knew that, you know, I w- was just different from everybody else. Right. And, and I got bullied a lot because mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure that when the, um, People in the the cult invited me to join their group. I'm I'm sure that they you know picked up you know characteristics you know they um, noticed how how trusting I was. Of course, for example, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, so I mean, what was like what was the breaking point for you when like you know what was the moment where you realized oh I need to get out of this? Hmm. Yeah. Now, now this is going to sound so weird and so simplistic. The breaking point for me was I got my own bedroom for the first time in my life. <laughs> now, let, <laughs> let me explain. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let, let me just back up a little bit. I came from a, a huge family. I'm the, the second oldest out of eight kids. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so I always had to to share a bedroom with somebody. In fact, um, when when I was growing up, I not only had to share a bedroom, but, you know, there were some times that I actually had to share a bed. Right. With with my sisters, you know. Yes. And so um, when when I was was living in the cult, you know, I again had to share a, a bedroom with somebody. 
But um, I, I remember the, let's see, probably in the, the second year or, or something like that, or to, toward the end of the second year, uh, you know, people did, did some, uh, you know, shufflings, you know, some room shufflings, basically, you know, right. where, where the, they would move to a different room. And I also re- remembered that the uh, group started growing. And so, uh, so some people moved to a different apartment. And when that happened, then I ended up having my own bedroom for the mm. first time in my life. Wow. Mm. And and also for the first time in my life, I was able to to finally think about what I wanted, you know, what was important to me, what I believed. And I realized that so many of these beliefs that I was willing to die for, I I realized I didn't believe them for a minute. Once I realized that, um, I, you know, I just thought there's no way that I can stay in this group. Hmm. Mm. Because I'm just just totally going against my beliefs now, right? Wow. And I what what I also saw was just how misogynistic and hypocritical and racist yeah. this group yeah. was. Of course, and, you know they had a, a completely different set of standards for me. Mm. Oh, really? Wow. And yeah, and for you, yes. it was and, having your own room was what like gave you that mental space to. Yeah. Just like it all came into focus right away. It it really did. Wow. It really wow. did. But, wow. You know, I did. I didn't have anybody breathing down my neck, you know, and, uh, telling me what I was supposed to believe, you know. Right. Um, now, when when I told the um, staff woman. That I needed to leave the group. Mm-hmm. Um, I I remembered her her saying, you know, well, how how do you know you're making the right decision, you know, and how how are you going to make it? And 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 I all I could do was tell her, I I don't know, <laughs> you know, I just know that th- this is what I need to do, you know, I really can't yeah. explain it, but I I know that this is the right thing for me. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, yeah. And seems so very brave. Yeah. Seriously. Uh, so. After leaving this evangelical Christian cult, I mean, was it like the pendulum completely swung the other way and then it was like all polyamory? <laughs> from then well, all polyamory all the time. Right. <laughs> well, well, actually, I uh, d- didn't start identifying as polyamorous until maybe a few years later. But what I did do was, um, you know, I just after I you know left the cult and left the church, you know, then I started drinking and having sex you know? I see. Okay. In, in, in that in that order. You know? <laughs> yeah, because I, I mean, these are these are things that I was constantly told I was not supposed to do. Right. You know, that, yeah. that they were bad. They were evil, which and the the sex part, especially that made no sense, because uh, then once you have that ring on your finger and you get married, then mm. it's OK to have sex. <laughs> Right. Which made no sense to me because, you know, you know, here, you know, I w- was told all my life that, that this was that sex was bad. Sex was evil. And you know, right. It seems like such yeah. a weird, arbitrary distinction. Yeah. It, it really was. It really was. But, yes, I, you know, I started drinking and having sex in that order. Uh, and the person who I huh, I don't. I don't I don't like to say, you know, I uh, lost my virginity with uh, because, you know, the idea of virginity. I mean, that's right. really just a, a, a social construct anyway. Mm-hmm. But I'll just say that the person I had my my first sexual experience with uh, was somebody who I met at a party and there was a lot of alcohol. You know, <laughs> so. Right. So, yes, I started drinking first and then having sex. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if if this was messaging that you also got, Gloria, in your upbringing, but I know for myself, you know, I did the whole thing. Like I signed two different purity pledges. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Um, But I mean, so I got that, you know, I got that message about, you know, sex is shameful and you need to avoid it and you do not have sexual thoughts. But then for me, it was also coupled with this messaging of sex when you're married is amazing and it's awesome and it's transcendent and it's going to give you a blessed, happy marriage and it has so much power into it. And I know for myself on my own journey towards 
learning sex positivity, having sex and it not being both not being evil and also not being this like mind blowing necessarily experience, especially not my first time, um, was <laughs> such an important step on just being like, oh, sex is just normal and human, you know, which which feels like more realistic sex positivity to me than this idea of sex is this incredibly intense, divine, magical thing that's going to change your life. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> And so, I mean, I want to move on to talk about shame, but I'm I'm just really curious just because, you know, I think the, the listeners of our show will be curious as well. Um, mm-hmm. What was the journey into polyamory like? Well, um, af- after I left the church and, you know, just started experimenting with, you know, d- various things that I w- was uh, told that I wasn't supposed to do, uh, you know, and of course, sex was one of them. And um, that that was was also around the uh, time that I realized that I was bisexual. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, the uh, kids today, <laughs> you know, and I always <laughs> hate to say this, and, you know, when I was your age, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was constantly told as a, a bisexual person that I needed to make up my mind. Yeah, right. And right. you know that that I was was straddling the fence, and you know I I, I remember some sometimes people when when they would introduce me to somebody, you know they would would say something like, "Oh, you'll have to excuse Gloria; she can't make up her mind." Mm. Oh my gosh! Oh, <laughs> yeah, I know that was, was pretty crappy, you know. So it's like you were either either gay or straight, you know. Period. Of course. You right. know. Yes. Um. And and then uh, also around that same time, it, the, this was like in the the mid nineteen eighties. Um, I remember that um, uh, personal ads uh, start, started becoming popular, and uh, you know pe- people were placing personal ads or answering ads, you know, in these you know d- different newspapers. Um, like w- when I when I lived in Portland, um, there was the Willamette Week. You know, which uh, that that was the newspaper that, you know, it had plenty of personal ads and uh, it was was pretty, pretty similar to the the Seattle Weekly. Uh, Okay, I was uh, thinking it was like The Stranger, but it's more like Seattle Weekly. Right. A little more mainstream, not not like. Exactly. Yes. 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 And um, I I remember there there was one ad that I answered. Uh, It was a, a bisexual woman who had placed this ad. And uh, and so when I answered the ad, you know, now she and I never became sexual, but we became really good friends. And she was involved with. Well, at at the time it was called, uh, you know, open relationships. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. And. What really intrigued me was when she would would tell me about how when when she would, you know, go, go on a uh you know, a date with a guy and, you know, she'd receive a lot of loving and nurturing from the guy. And then she would go home to her boyfriend and receive a lot of loving and nurturing from him. Mm. And I thought, wow, that sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) Sign me up for that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, really. really. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I start, started, uh, you know, d- dating different people who were in- involved with what, what was open relationships. Uh, I, you know, I don't remember when it b- became, uh, you know, ethical non-monogamy or polyamory, you know, but at the time it was j- just open relationships. And I, I'd been polyamorous since, well, gosh, pr- pr- probably, you know, like the 35 years or, or the, something like that. Yeah. Um, but it didn't really become healthy for me mm-hmm. until maybe, maybe 10 years ago. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. What was it that I, made that change? I, I guess what, what really made the, the change was, uh, you know, just finding, uh, better quality partners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what really, really did it for me, you know? Um, and then, um, later on, well, let's see. Okay. 
my partner who I've been with the longest, um, you know, I've been with him for uh, 14 years. Um, you know, in fact, actually, we celebrated 14 years last month. Oh, oh congrats. Uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> and and then my other partner, uh, you know, we've known each other for like 10 years and, uh, you know, but we've been uh, partners for you know, like seven years. You know, so and and they're they're just amazing. Mm. <laughs> they really are. Um, and and then so something else that that happened during that time that uh, made it so that my uh, relationships are, are just a lot healthier now is. You know, you mentioned the um, uh, breast cancer diagnosis. Yes. In uh, December 2013, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And um, that diagnosis, in a way, was a gift for me mm. because it showed me just how short life is. Right. Yeah. And, and so as a, as a result of realizing that, you know, I realized that I no longer cared what people thought of me. Hmm. And so that made it easy for me to come out as bisexual, polyamorous and sex positive. Wow. And also by not caring what people thought of me, I was was also able to set boundaries oh. and to no longer allow people to to treat me poorly. Yeah. Yeah. My goodness. There's sorry. There's just like so much there. That that sounds like <laughs> such a peak moment of oh my growth in <laughs> one's life that I think all of us are constantly working on. I mean, not yeah. only getting to the point of not caring what people think of you, but also that being the thing that allows you to not let people treat you poorly. Like that's that's huge. Oh yeah. It it really is. It really is. I mean, you know, because when when I when I think of my um relationships in the past um i mean there there was somebody who i was was in a relationship with well actually i pr probably should put quote marks around the word relationship mm, right <laughs> but there there was some somebody i was with for um nearly two decades oh my goodness yes yes and <laughs> I, I mean, now, as I as I think of that relationship, I just have to shake my head because I can not imagine b being with somebody who treated me so poorly. Right. You yeah. know, <laughs> or, you know, some someone who I know is uh, uh, lying to me. <laughs> right. But, you know, at the at the time, I just I, I wanted to believe him so yeah, badly, you know. Of course. Yes. Yes. Um, he was, was somebody who I met at the, the very first Polly Podluck I went to uh, oh, wow. in, in Seattle. Yes. And, you know, he said he was polyamorous and, you know, and I believed him. But I would, would start, you know, seeing different things that, that just did not add up, uh, you know, where I could, could tell that he wasn't being totally truthful with me. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, today, if that were to happen, you know, if if I could tell that someone is not being truthful with me, you know, there there is no way I'm going to let them get away with it. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. going to talk to them about it. And, uh, you know, if if they uh, become defensive or, you know, or or lie about lying, <laughs> right. you know, um, you know, then. I'll I'll just just have to call it off. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I know all three of us definitely have, uh, you know, nightmare stories of our past, <laughs> of past oh partners, <laughs> you know, and kind of that same thing that sometimes it is so amazing when you look back in the past and be like, wow, how did I put up with that? But I guess right. that's, also, yeah. that's what growth is. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's actually a good transition into talking about shame. And now, yes, we've on the podcast before, I think I've said this a billion times, like we want to do a shame episode. We want to do a shame episode, we want to do a shame episode you know, because it does. It comes up in a lot of different arenas. You know? mm -hmm. um, yes. 
And so uh, I'm like, I've been in the middle of doing like a healing shame training from the the Center for Healing Shame in Berkeley. This has been on my oh. mind a lot. And, um, you know, Gloria, you have this workshop that's simply titled Transcending Shame. You've run this workshop at many different conferences in many different spaces. Can you tell us about your inspiration for that and how that workshop came to be? Well, let's see. I... I think you know pr- probably in uh, 2010 or or uh, so- something like that but I remember the workshop was called sexual shame Th- there were a couple of things that uh get- came into my mind you know as I as I sat in this um sexual shame workshop uh one one of the things I thought was that um the examples that that he used they they weren't necessarily unique to sexual shame. I mean, I, you know, I really thought that they would apply to d- just shame, period, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thought that, that occurred to me was, wow, I could totally do a workshop like this, you know, <laughs> because as, as I sat there, you know, I thought about the uh, shame that I encountered uh, in in grade school and high school, you know, b- being autistic, even though I d- didn't know at the time that, you know, I, I was autistic, but I, you know, I just knew that I uh, got bullied a lot and, uh, you know, and, and get constantly laughed at, you know, just b- because I acted differently and talked differently mm. from uh, the people around me. And, um, right. you know, so I, I would keep getting these messages that, that there was, was something wrong with me. You know, um, mm, so yeah. so th- there there was certainly a, a lot of shame, you know, from that. And then, um, you know, I th- also thought about my uh, years in the, the cult in Portland, um, you know, being the only black person. And I remember just, you know, how shameful I felt. You know, uh, because, you know, once again, I, you know, I didn't fit in. I, you know, I really wasn't part of the group, even though, you know, technically I I was part of the group. But I was was always kind of on on the outside, you know, because I I just but well, basically, I, you know, I felt that I wasn't as good, you know. So uh, there there was was shame around that, you know. Um, and, and then of course, you know, the, the, uh, shame around sex, um, you know, and there were, there was, was also shame around, um, um, you know, having my first sexual experience so late in life. I mean, I was, I was 20, I was 25 years old, you know, and from, from what I understand, you know, most people (laughs) have sex in high school, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or or in college. <laughs> yeah, right. so yeah. Though, so so there uh, there was an incredible I'm, amount of shame there. Yeah, right. Um, I, I have a question. Yeah. I'm curious. So when yes. you when you had this uh, your breast cancer diagnosis, that for you, yes. you know that that like realizing how short life is was when you decided mm-hmm. to stop caring what people think. I was curious. Was then this looking into shame and what that's about was like, okay, now I need to figure out how to deal with this shame so that I can not care. Or was that sort of before? And then it took this to kind of get you the rest of the way there. Like what was the timeline? Um, well, let's see. I, I, I think that, that the, you know, just the thinking about shame, you know, came before the, the breast cancer diagnosis. Um, you know, even though I, you know, I didn't really do anything about it or, you know, start start teaching at conferences until after the diagnosis. Um, yeah. And what, what happened was, let's see, I was I was diagnosed in 2013, in December 2013. And, you know, and then I had the uh, surgeries in 2014. And let's see. In 2016. I started hearing about, you know, different conferences who were looking for presenters. And I I just right away, you know, I thought about shame and the the uh, title transcending shame, you know, just just came to me. I, you know, I didn't really have to have to think about it. Hmm. You know, it, it just it just made sense to me. Right. 
And, yeah. and the, the very first place that I presented was at ConvergeCon in Vancouver, BC. This oh, was yeah. in uh, April uh, 2017. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and the workshop has improved so much over the years. You know, nice. uh, I I remember that the the very first time I did it, um, th- some of the examples I used were of p- people who used to be celebrities. You know, maybe like in the the nineteen eighties. And I I mean they they were g- good examples that I used, but being that I was using examples that the majority of the uh, people you know, sitting there in the workshop had never even heard of. Right. Um, <laughs> that was a little bit embarrassing. Right. You know? But I thought, okay, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna uh, file this away, you know? <laughs> you know, and, and so now I use more uh, contemporary examples, you know, like, right. uh, uh, Oh, like like Robert Downey Jr., for example, mm, or yeah. or uh, Lizzo, right? <laughs> right. And yeah, yeah. I, I and basically I use her as an example of somebody who uh it, it is not ashamed at all. Oh yeah, <laughs> you seriously, know, just, what a what a perfect example. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> and I you know as as. As many uh, times as I've taught this workshop, you know, I still think I really ought to take some lessons from Lizzo. <laughs> Seriously, if, if, Don't if we that's all. possible. I, yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe this is something that you discuss in your workshop, uh, uh-huh. but it seems it, sort of like shame is a root cause for a lot of other things in your life or a lot of other emotions like fear and anger and sadness and things along those lines. Can Mm-hmm. You talk a little bit about maybe how shame relates to those other emotions and and to what maybe it prevails life in general in terms of if you are angry or sad or or have constant patterns of fear. Yes, well, I I would say that the where where the where the shame really comes in is um, if if I'm in a relationship with somebody who has a, a habit of shaming me, you know, and the, the person who I'm, I'm thinking about again, you know, the uh, person who I mentioned earlier, who I had uh, been in a relationship with for uh, nearly two decades, uh, yeah. you know, so um, I, I remember that th- there were, were so many times that uh, he just, just seemed to have a problem with, with how I expressed myself. Mm. You know, uh, any any quote unquote negative emotions, you know, like if if, if I was angry and a, a lot of the time, well, I, I would say probably 100 percent of the time I had good reason to be angry because he would provoke me, yeah, <laughs> right. you know, or or constantly point out what I uh, quote unquote had wrong with me. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, but. Uh, let, let me see. There, there's a, a really good example of um, when we hadn't been seeing each other for very long. And I remember he uh, said something to me that, you know, was extremely shaming for me. Um, what what had happened was he, he noticed that I d- didn't really seem to ask very many questions, you know, when, whenever we would have conversations. Hmm. And, you know, part of it was that I was was nervous, you know. Right. Um, yeah. And I I remember what what he thought was that since I didn't ask questions, then then that must mean that I'm just not interested in hmm. people, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And and so w- what he said to me that just brought up all the shame is he, he said, I resign myself to the fact that you'll never be interested in other people, hmm. which was a really, really crappy thing to say to somebody. I yeah. mean, he he just made this assumption that if if I don't ask questions in 
any of our conversations, then that must mean that I'm not interested. I'm not interested in people. And, you know, and when he said that, my my face, you know, my uh, cheeks just became really hot. And and I felt this I had this sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. Which is how shame manifests itself for me. Mm -hmm. And when he said that, I, you know, I just felt so unworthy, you know, and just so wrong. Right. And I mean, nowadays, if somebody were to say something is off the wall, is that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I, I mean, I'm not sure what I would say to them. I, you know, I definitely would not feel shame, you know, because I, I would know just how inappropriate it is to say something like that to someone. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and to, to basically make this assumption, you know? Yeah. So, um, yes, any, anytime I felt anger or, or, or fear or sadness or frustration or anything, um, he always seemed to think that I was responding to the situation wrong. Mm. You know, he always had a, a problem with how I reacted. Right. And it, it was, was always wrong as far as he was concerned, you know, and that was where a lot of the shame came from for me. Yeah. You know, the uh, shame around my emotions. And I mean, looking back, I'll, I'll have to say that, um, the the ways that I've responded to situations have always been appropriate. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I I could could be dealing with trauma, uh, you know, or or childhood right. trauma, uh, or I I could be triggered by something. Yeah, I I was wondering because in your example, you were talking about you know the difference between sort of um like how for you if someone said that to you it wouldn't mm-hmm. have the same effect probably because right. now you're able to identify like, Oh, this is, they're trying to do this to me. And, and I know that yeah. my reaction is okay. Right. I'm, right. I'm curious in working with people on this and in your workshops, I know for, for a lot of us, there's shame that's kind of like in our adult lives, but then there's also a bunch of it we bring with us from our upbringings, like, you know, we talked to earlier in the episode about religion or just the things that our parents might have said to us, not realizing mm-hmm. the impact it would have on us, or maybe did realize the impact it would have on us. But either way, <laughs> yeah. right, that that sometimes is harder to identify because it's like deeper in there. Have you found that to be true or does it kind of like you can apply this across the board? Yeah, Um well, what what I what I found, I, I I mean, you know, is is part of that. But what what I've also found too is that um, if if you have a community around you, you know, some people who who you can can talk to, people you you can uh, vent, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, if the. You know, say say if you're uh, experiencing uh, microaggressions at work, mm-hmm. for example, or you know, say if 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 you're in in a relationship with somebody who shames you, or if your parents shame you, or or your church, or whatever. Um, what what I what I tell people in in my workshops is that it's just so important to have a community of people who, who you can talk to, you know, and, and so you can, you know, uh, realize that there are other people who have uh, probably experienced the same things and you don't feel so alone anymore. Um, you know, one of, one of the other things that I found is that, um, shame is so isolating. Yeah. It's, it's extremely isolating. And I mean, that that was another thing that I found in this relationship is that um, over the years, I I really hated to, you know, tell my friends about him or, Mm. you know, or, or, you know, what what he did or what he said, you know, or whatever, because um, deep down inside, I knew that that something wasn't right. Right. (laughs) I I was feeling so much shame and I, you know, was, was just too ashamed and embarrassed to even uh, tell people what was going on. 
And I mean, looking back, I think, you know, it, it would have been great if, if I had had somebody in my life who could have been really blunt with me. Yeah. <laughs> and to, uh, you know, point out what, what they see going on and, you know, and, and to tell me that, you know, you, you really deserve way better than that. You can do better than that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, in fact, actually, um, when I first got into the relationship, I would occasionally tell people things, you know, like, for, for instance, I would tell them that, well, I'm in love with him, but he's not in love with me. Hmm. And, uh, you know, and people would say, uh, wow, that uh, that really doesn't sound right. <laughs> you <know? laughs> right. Or, you know, or I uh, tell them about other things and, and they they'd say, wow, that this doesn't sound good to me. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's multi, M-U-L-T-I, at adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast, and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code multi to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. If we want to talk about, yeah, just like an internal shame and sort of how to get past that a little bit as well, because mm-hmm. we've talked about a bit about the shame that often occurs from another person. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I know personally for myself, I have felt shame for a lot of different reasons for, you know, how smart I am compared to other people or not or any number of things. So mm. can we talk a little bit about that? In terms of, you know, things like our own gender or sex or race or sexual orientation, even being Mm. polyamorous, you know, our identity and and the shame that may come from things like that. Yes. Yes. Um, One one of the things that I do toward the end of the workshop Mm -hmm. is, um, well, well, first I'll give some examples of people who. Uh, you know, d- definitely have no shame, <laughs> you know, and I, you know, and I uh, m- mentioned Lizzo, you know, for, yeah. for example. Yes. And that that's actually the, the section that I call um, these are uh, people who society thinks should be ashamed, but who aren't. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And then after that, then, then I ask everybody a question and I say, um, what is it about you or what is it about your background that society seems to think you should be ashamed of? Mm. And I'll, I'll hear things like, uh, you know, well, I'm, I'm, I'm trans or I'm bisexual or I'm polyamorous or uh, I'm, I'm a, a sex worker, you know, and, and p- people will, will name off all, all of these things, you know, um, and uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it, what what that does actually is it, um, you know, it helps it it helps them to see that they're not alone. Yeah, yeah. In a recording of your of one of your workshops that we all listened to before this episode, you talked about how people are much more likely to share all sorts of other feelings before they're willing to admit feeling shame. It's like even admitting feeling shame is shameful. Yes, yes. Yes. In fact, that's uh, something else that I that I bring up is that there's there's shame around feeling shame. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 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 Which is kind of kind of a, a weird paradox in a way. <laughs> right. But that's kind of how it has such a strong hold on us because yes. that's how we end up yes. feeling so alone. Yeah. Yeah. It's yes. like so cyclical. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it really is. And again, you know, that's where having a, a supportive community of people around you you know, just makes all the difference in the world. And it sounds like specifically you have been able over time to cut out the people in your life that don't represent that to you, that aren't supportive and good to you, and then keep the people in your life who are. And that's really extraordinary to me because that's easier said than done sometimes. Oh, yeah, it it is. Well, I mean, when when I when I didn't like myself, you know, mm-hmm. which, which was actually the majority of my life, you know, un- until the cancer diagnosis, um, you know, I, I would keep people around who were toxic and, and uh, unsupportive, you know, and uh, but. You know, I guess I well, for for one thing, I didn't really feel like I had any choices in the matter, you know, and I felt that I had to have somebody around, (laughs) you know. Right. And like that was just Uh, normal. Like I should feel ashamed so that then I. Right. There's nothing wrong with people (laughs) telling me that. Yeah. Right. Well, and and also not not only normal, but but it just felt familiar to me mm, because, um, yeah. you know, like like the the uh, household that I grew up in was uh, very, very abusive. And uh, I I mean, e- even to the, the point of uh, domestic violence. Uh-huh. You know? right. Yeah. And so so I'm I'm also a domestic violence uh, survivor, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, wow. So. So, so, so yeah, just having, a second. having somebody Dedeker lost her connection who, and she's just yeah, I'm back. There she is. Okay, okay. Is, uh, I was trying to sneak in down real quiet like and um, constantly <laughs> yeah, sorry, helping me to, issues, to doubt myself. Like I'm back on track. I mean, that felt totally normal and familiar to me, <laughs> you know, but uh, I cannot imagine doing that now. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, people like that won't even get the time of day <laughs> for me. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. Um I I ju- just want to read something real quick. Uh now I don't I don't remember if I um gave you this handout that I, that I normally give out at the uh Transcending Shame workshops, but it's a a, a handout that that I made um you know, or a, a tip sheet, you know, oh, whatever you yeah. want to call right. it. Oh, yes. Yeah, maybe uh, I can link called, that. Called, uh, four ways to transcend shame. Yes. And uh, yes, it, you know, if you could uh, link to that or, or I, oh, could, yeah. you know, I, I could uh, send it to you, you know, definitely. Yes. But the um, so so the the four ways are um, to love and forgive yourself. Hmm. And I, I use this this quote from John Bradshaw, who uh, wrote this this book that was was really really important uh, in the the area of shame, and I you know I, you know I'll constantly quote from the book during the workshop. But um, wh- one thing that he said that I uh, thought was really important uh, as, as far as you know being able to love and forgive yourself, it, it said toxic shame's greatest enemy is the statement "I love myself." Mm-hmm. To say I love myself can become your most powerful tool in healing the shame that binds you. To truly love yourself will transform your life. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that it makes so much sense that it's, I mean, those two statements are just so diametrically opposed to each other, those two feelings, you know, self-love and shame. And mm-hmm. it's, um, 
I think it's not surprising that so many of us, I think, really struggle with self-love. I think because we've kind of been trained to turn to the shame first to a certain extent. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And I... I don't want to give the impression that I never feel shame anymore because that's not true. I mean, you know, I, I will occasionally feel shame, but because of doing this work in the, the area of shame now, uh, I'm, I'm able to notice a lot quicker that mm-hmm. I'm being shamed. I'm yes. wondering, you know, your opinion, Gloria, what do you think needs to happen on a more macro societal level when it comes to dealing with shame? Oh, my gosh. That's that's a, a really difficult one because um, a lot of the shame is uh, around, you know, things that you can't help. I mean, you I know, know, the, the, the uh, color of your skin, uh, yeah. your uh, socioeconomic uh, background, um, <laughs> you know, the, the uh, uh, family you grew up with. Um, you know, so, ah, yeah, that, that's, that's a a really, really difficult one because, um, you know, so something has to, to happen, you know, basically at the, the very top. Yeah. (laughs) And if the, um, people who are in power, I mean, if, if they have, uh, you know, racist attitudes, uh, (laughs) You know, then I mean, there's there's really not a, a whole lot that you can can do about it. But um, I guess I just would have to get back to what, what I was saying earlier about, it, you know, have a community, have a, a supportive community around you. Yeah. Yeah. I think even just the value of getting messaging around you're not uh like you're you're normal, like this is okay, you know, mm-hmm. I know that that's in my own journey, especially toward you know discovering my own sexuality and my own relationship orientation that mm-hmm. that was a really pivotal moment for me, even just knowing, oh my goodness there's there's other people out there who feel the same way, and I know that's something that we get messages sent to us a lot from people being like, oh my goodness, like it's so nice to know just that I'm not the only one, you right. know, and that this is normal and I'm not a weirdo for feeling this way. Um, yeah. I, I mean, the, the truth being that like we are all weirdos for feeling this way to a certain extent. <laughs> We're just weirdos. Certain, inherently. Okay. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, even that little bit of counter shaming just goes such a long way. I feel, um, And kind of related, I want to pivot a little bit because you mentioned early on about your autism diagnosis coming really late in your life. And I know that I've heard from a lot of people in our online community, you know, from listeners of ours who are not neurotypical or who are on the autism spectrum or things like that, that there's also that kind of special flavor of shame to work through as well. And so I want to hear your personal experience, you know, getting this autism diagnosis you know, uh, at the age of 62, you know, just last year, how has that affected your life and your approach? Wow. It's, it's really, it's really interesting. I mean, you know, I guess one, one of the things that I noticed is that I'm just a lot more accepting and a a lot more compassionate with myself, Hmm. you know, um, before, Actually, it was like uh, I I think fifteen or so years ago that I finally started suspecting that you know maybe I was on the autism spectrum. I mean mm. that that was around the time that I started hearing about uh, Asperger syndrome, which mm. um, I I don't I don't know if very many people call it that anymore um, because. You know, we found out that Hans Esberger uh, was a a Nazi sympathizer. So, oh gosh, I didn't know that. I did not know that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a lot of people don't don't call it Asperger syndrome anymore. Um, So, I I I just call it autism. But but anyway, at at the time, you know, fifteen years ago, when when I when it was called uh, Asperger syndrome, and I just started hearing about it, and 
you know, reading what the, the characteristics were. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that, that sounds just like me, you know. Right. And uh, and so I, you know, I took one of those uh, uh, online tests, <laughs> you know, oh, to, I see. To, right. to, to see if I had it. And, uh, you know, and uh, according to this online test, which which took like 10 minutes, uh, you know, said that I didn't have it. But <laughs> but then last year, um you know, I talked to my uh, therapist who, who is is just great. I mean, you know, she's uh, uh, kink friendly and uh, mm. poly friendly, LGBTQ friendly. Yeah, you that's know? great. And she she also um, assesses people for autism. You know, oh. and, and so the assessments that I went through, I mean, it, it was just several pages of, uh, you know, just various tests and uh you know and, and so i mean it was it was way more than that you know 10 minute online of course test right. that i took you know uh and also, also one of my partners uh had to write a statement um i don't i don't remember what what uh questions he was asked but you know just just basically to um you know tell you know basically an evaluation of me you know yeah. Right. And you know, so so that that was something that also helped my uh therapist to make the diagnosis, you know. Um but I I'm I'm being way more open about it now. Hmm. Uh you know, now, now that I know that that I'm autistic. I mean, I there there are so many people who have told me that uh you know boy i can't can't really believe you're autistic or you know i can't really imagine you know but uh the the thing is i'm i'm what some people would call high functioning autistic although i you know i really don't like to to use that terminology right. because unfortunately if if people see me as high functioning uh then it's easier for them to become angry with me if if mm. I respond to situations in certain ways that don't make sense to them. Right. You know, I mean, I've you know, I've had people over the years say, uh, "Why, why did you say that?" or "Why did you respond this way?" And all I could do was kind of shrug, you know. Mm-hmm. And now I know that. Well, being autistic, I know that I process information differently from other people, you right. know, and, and, and yeah. so, you know, I'll, I'll respond the way that makes sense to me. Right. You know? Yeah. 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 So yeah. it sounds like to a certain extent for you that this has been very like a freeing diagnosis. It, it really has been it really has been. I I just wish that I had been diagnosed a lot sooner. Right. You know, I think it would have saved me just so much, uh, you know, hassle and, 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 uh, you know, and heartache and misunderstanding. Of course. Yeah. Yes. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 Well, this has been a really amazing conversation about so many things. And thank you so much for talking with us. Can we uh, hear from you where people can go to find more of you, find more of your work, um, any upcoming projects that you want to promote? So I'll I'll be speaking at uh, Minnesota Polycon, and uh, that will be uh, July 18th, and it's online. I, I'm pretty sure that it's on Zoom. Yes. Perfect. Okay. Yes. We'll have and to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. Please do. Please do. Yes. Um, you know, and so far I don't, don't have anything scheduled, but, you know, that that always changes. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm kind of right I'm, now. Oh, yes. Really? <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm uh, kind of frustrated because um, there were a, a few conferences in um April and May that I was scheduled to speak actually yeah. in, in yeah. Uh, June and July too. I mean, I, uh, I, I was going, going to be speaking at, um, uh, black and poly pride, right. uh, which, which yeah. was, I, I think it was uh, going to be either this week or last week. You know? Yeah. Cause we did, yeah. we did a big interview with the organizers. Yeah. Come yeah. on. Oh, right. They were so yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Really, really. And, and then I was, uh, looking forward to speaking at, uh, 
Holly Dallas next month. Right. I've never yeah. been before. And, uh, you know, and I think, I think that's uh, postponed to next year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, with all these things, we're going to have to do just like party twice as hard next year. Absolutely. Yeah. Like do workshops that are just like twice as amazing. <laughs> yes, really, really. Just really try to make up for it. <laughs> all right. So we're going to now go and do a little bit of a bonus episode together uh, where we're going to talk about a recent workshop that Gloria did and some kind of life-changing questions from that that she wanted to share with us. That's going to be in our bonus episode for our Patreon supporters. So if you want to get access to that, you can go check that out. Also, we would love to hear your thoughts on this episode. What has your experience been with shame? What's your journey been like? Have you found community that's helped support you in getting over that? Or is that something you're still looking for? The best place you can share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at multiamory.com. Multiamory is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Dedeker Winston, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowark and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.